you know, even in the Christmas season, crime fighting must go on. And mysteries must be solved. And what better guy <laughs> show up at Christmas time? I wonder if it'd be great if he would show up at Christmas time dressed like Santa Claus, wouldn't it? I'm talking about Nero Wolf. He's rather rotund. And imagine him dressed like Santa Claus, showing up to solve a crime. And uh, my goodness, that's what we have tonight. Direct from Rick Stout's book. And four to go comes the Christmas story, A Christmas Party. And four to go was a great Nero Wolf book. It involved four different Nero Wolf stories. All of them, except one, involved a different holiday. There was a 4th of July story, there was an Easter story, and there was a Christmas story. And what better time to hear a Nero Wolf Christmas story than right now. I am your humble host here for Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. Tonight's story is called A Christmas Party. Written originally by Rex Stout, came out in a book in Four to Go. The book came out in 1958. And uh, one of my favorite books, because all those holidays, neat to read a Nero Wolf holiday story when it is that holiday time. And fortunately for us, we've got a radio adaptation of A Christmas Party. This was originally broadcast on February 13th, 1982. And we'll... Now we've got it here for you on Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. Oh my, this is going to be good. Let's all listen to this special Christmas episode of Nero Wolf. Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. Starring Mabel Moore as Nero Wolf and Don Franks as Archie Goodwin. Today's episode, Christmas Party, with special guest stars Marty Meriden, Linda Sorensen, Patricia Hamilton, Gordon Thompson, and John Granick. I'm sorry, Mr. Wolf, but I told you two days ago that I had a date for Friday afternoon, and you said it was all right, so I'll drive you to Long Island on Saturday or Sunday. That won't do, Archie. Mr. Thompson will be at Mr. Hewitt's place only until Saturday noon. He's the best orchid hybridizer in England, and I'm grateful to be invited to spend a few hours with him. We should leave here about 12.30. I really am sorry, but I have to keep that date Friday afternoon. It's a Christmas party at the office of Kurt Botvile. Now, you remember him. We did a job for him a few months ago. Yes. You may not remember a member of his staff named Margot Dickey, but I do. I promised her that I'd come to the party. Oh, boy. A party? I have only one opportunity. Then take it. Your idea that a car is a death trap if I'm not driving is unsound. You can take a taxi. I hope to get some useful information from Mr. Thompson, and you will take notes. Not if I'm not there. Hewitt's secretary knows orchid terms as well as I do, and so do you. Archie, how many times in the past year have I asked you to drive me somewhere? 
If you call it asking, maybe 18 or 20. Not, not excessive, surely. If my feeling that you alone are to be trusted with the wheel of a car is an aberration, then I have it. We will leave for Mr. Hewitt's place Friday at 12.30. All right. All right. I didn't intend to spring this on you till tomorrow, but I guess it will have to be now. Here, take a look at this. What's this? Well, as you see, it's a marriage license for Archie Goodwin and Margot Dickey. It cost me two bucks. Flummery. No, sir. No flummery. I mean, I could be mushy about it, but I won't. I will only say that I'm hooked at last. Margot intends to spread the tidings at the Christmas office party, so I have to be there. You are deranged. Sit down. I suppose it is a form of madness, but there, I've got it. It's like what Margot was reading to me the other night, some poem. I think it was Greek. Oh, love, resistless in thy might, thou mightest Shut triumph. up and Even... sit down. Yes, sir. We haven't set the date yet. We don't want to rush it. Now, you may not want me to be here anymore, but that's up to you. As far as I'm concerned, I'd like to stay. I'd hate to end such a long association. The pay is okay, especially if I get the raise at the first of the year, which is a week from Monday. I'm used to my room upstairs, and I like Fritz's cooking, and the billiard table in the basement, and the one-way glass panel in the front door. Just sit down. I've told Margot all this, everything, including the fact that you're allergic to women, and we've discussed it, and we think it might be worth trying, say for a month. When we get back from the honeymoon, we could take over the second floor, and if the trial works out, the new furniture or the decorating would be up to us. I mean, since she works for an interior designer, we could get things wholesale. I don't believe it. You will. What about Miss Rowan? We won't drag Miss Rowan into this. What about the thousands of others you dally with? Not thousands. Not even a thousand. And I'll look up, Dally. No, oh, for heaven's sake, sit down. No, sir. Right now you're stirred up. We'd better discuss this some other time. In a few days, you may hate the idea of having a woman in your house even worse than you do now, or you may have cooled down to a simmer. Could I have my license back, please? I want to go and show it to my bride-to-be. Archie, darling. Yes, my own, I've got it. Oh, Archie, I knew you could. How much do I owe you? Uh, 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 this one's on me. Doesn't the groom always pay for the license? <laughs> Besides, I've already had my money's worth out of it. Uh, shall I send it over by messenger? No, no, I think uh, I'd better collect it in person. Uh -huh. Where are you? I'm in a phone booth. I'd just as soon not go to the office right now. Mr. Wolf wants to be alone to boil. <laughs> <laughs> How about the tulip bar in 20 minutes? I feel like buying you a drink. Oh, no, no, lover. I feel like buying you a drink. <laughs> <laughs> At precisely noon the next day, Friday, a black limousine drew up in front of the house. And Wolf, with the brim of his old black hat turned down and the collar of his new gray overcoat turned up for the snow, descended the stoop. Stood like a small mountain on the bottom step till the chauffeur had opened the door. Then he crossed the sidewalk and climbed in. I watched it from above, from a window of my room. Then I showered and got dressed for the party. Archie! Archie, lover, you got here. Margot, my own. <laughs> <laughs> come on over to the bar and help us sample. Look, if I come too early, where is everybody? 
just office staff now. Clients are invited for later. Oh, oh you remember Alf Kiernan, our business manager. Mr. Kiernan. Archie Goodwin. Sure, you were snooping around our office last year when we had that tapestry theft. What a pleasant surprise. I'm sure. And this lovely person under Alfie's adoring gaze is Cherry Kwan, our, um... <laughs> I don't really know how to describe your job, dear. All-around handy person? A receptionist will do. <sighs> you brought a detective, Margot. Has something been stolen? No, no, dear, but I may need protection. Archie, you recognize our bartender, of course, hmm? all the way from the North Pole. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is that what you call a designer touch, Santa Claus tending bar? <laughs> Oh, the designer touch, that's ho, 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 fella. Santa, I think you're divine. And I love your sweet mask and all that lovely padding and your dear little white gloves. <laughs> now, if you want to hee-hee instead of ho-ho, that's all right by me. Oh, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> you're welcome. My friend Archie needs a drink, Santa. Oh, certainly, ma'am. Champagne only, good one. The designer touch. Mm-hmm. Three different brands. The Kurt Botvile touch. Yes. Uh, shall we sample the Vogue Clicteau this time, Santa? Oh, certainly, sir. <laughs> Santa, you're adorable. Stop tugging at me, Leo. <laughs> oh, here comes the angel on our Christmas tree, Mrs. Porter Jerome. This is Archie. She means that I provide the money that runs this organization. Leo, take my rap, will you? It's stifling in here. Yes, Mama. And this is Mrs. Jerome's son, Leo Hatch, who... Who does all the work around here and gets none of the credit. I thought this was to be a family affair. <laughs> well, Archie's like family to me. I invited him. You're a blessing, Margot. Leo, get me a drink. Yes, Mama, as soon as I get rid of your mink, Mama. Archie and I have something to discuss, if you'll excuse us. A pleasure. Oh, Cherry, love, I don't think you have the Christmas family spirit. Uh, you have another drink and cheer up now, you hear? Come on, Archie. Bartender, don't just stand there. Pour me a drink. Well, can you hear me behind that mask? Margot, <sighs> if this is a Christmas party, why do I have a feeling that it's Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should work here. One big happy family. I'll bet. What do you think of Cherry? Mm, she's pretty. Mm, pretty as me? Nothing like as pretty as you. No. Oh, for me, that marriage license was real. I can get a real one for $2. What do you say? Huh? You. Oh, you wouldn't marry Miss Universe <laughs> if she came on her knees with a billion dollars. I dare her to try it. Did the license work? Mm-hmm. Like a charm. Absolutely perfect, Archie. Oh, good. I, I mean, no, no. That means it's all over between us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Archie, darling, look, I'll be a sister to you. I don't need a sister. Okay. I'm the rejected suitor, but I want the license back for a souvenir. <laughs> Archie, that's sweet. No, it's serious. Now, I don't want it kicking around. I could be hooked for forgery. You mail it to me once my own. Well, I can't. He tore it up. The hell he did? Where are the pieces? Gone. He threw them what? in his wastebasket. Now, you will come to the wedding. What wastebasket? Where is it? In his office last what? night after dinner. Will you come to the wedding? I will not. My heart is bleeding. Mr. Wolf's heart will bleed, too. Look, I should be getting out of here. I'm going to be expected to sulk, and I don't think I can sulk. <laughs> you won't have to. Kurt won't know I've told you yet. Look. Look, here comes my intended now. Merry oh. Christmas! Oh. All my blessings to my loyal staff and fellow workers. Oh, Merry, <laughs> Merry, Merry, Merry. Merry oh, good one. I didn't know you were here. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Now, before the clients and other guests arrive, I have an announcement to make and a toast to drink. Is everybody's glass filled? Oh, <laughs> Everyone ready? Right. Now, there are times when love takes over. 
There are times... Oh, wait a minute. You don't have a glass. You have to drink, too. Oh, of course. Uh, well, I'll just have a sip of champagne. Oh, nonsense. You should enjoy, too. I'll get your private bottle from your office. It doesn't have to be pair, no. I should drink what everyone else is drinking. Nonsense. You should enjoy it just as we do. Ah, uh, now, could I have a glass, please, Santa? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That makes it unanimous. Uh, thank you, Alf. My uh, secret public vice. <laughs> I'll start again. There are times when love takes over. Santa Claus wears yours. You have to drink, too. Well, he can't drink through the mask. <laughs> no, I suppose not. Uh, there are times when love takes over. Thanks, Alf. There are times when the little demons disappear down their rat holes and ugliness itself takes on the shape of beauty. When the darkest corner is touched by light. When the coldest heart feels the glow of warmth. When the trumpet call of goodwill and good cheer drowns out all the babel of mean little noises. This is such a time. Merry Christmas. Merry, merry, merry. Merry, merry Christmas. What a lovely toast, Kurt. Simply lovely. Well, I must write it down and have it printed. That part about the trumpet call. It was... Kurt. Oh, Kurt, what is it, Kurt? Merry, merry Get a doctor. Stand back, everyone. Get back. Now he needs air. Do something. Somebody do something. Cyanide has a very distinctive smell. Must have been a big dose to hit him that hard and that fast. Kiernan was loosening Botvile's collar and Margot was squatting at her groom-to-be's feet taking his shoes off. I could have told her she might as well let him die with his boots on, but I didn't. I had two fingers on his wrist and my other hand inside his shirt, and I felt him going. His heart stopped and he's not breathing. Can't you do something? Look, I'm a licensed detective and I'm supposed to know how to act in these well, circumstances. Well, do something. I want to... He's dead. <gasps> Is it a heart attack? I'd say he was poisoned. Oh, my God. Yeah. It looks oh, like his drink was poisoned. All right, until the police come here, no one will touch anything, especially that bottle of Perno, and no one will leave this room. I want you... Wait a minute, where's Santa Claus? I don't know. He was here a minute ago. Did anyone see him go? He didn't go out the main door. No one passed my door. The office. There's a private elevator in Kurt's office. I'll go. No, you stay. I'll go and take a look, Margo. You come with me. Kiernan, call the police. Spring 7, 3100. Right. Look, the elevator just hit the main floor. Damn, we're too late. Push the button and bring it back. It's coming. Good. What are you looking for? A wastebasket. I can't seem to find a wastebasket. Well, it's right there, that gold leaf thing. That? That's a wastebasket? Archie, are you crazy? What are you doing? Is this where he threw the license? Yes, but what possible did Damn, he... it's not here. How can you worry about a license when the... Look, the elevator's here. You stand back. Look. Don't touch anything. Well, that's what's left of our Santa. Suit, hat, boots, mask, and he kept the white gloves, of course. Mr. Kiernan and Mr. Hatch will be taken to the district attorney's office for further questioning. The rest of you can go for the present, but you'll keep yourselves available at the addresses you've given. Before you go, I want to ask you once again, here together about the man who was here as Santa Claus. You've all claimed you know nothing about him. You still claim that? Inspector Kramer. Yes, Mr. Kiernan. I'm not objecting to going to the DA's office for three hours. I haven't objected to anything. But we've told you all we can. I, I know I have. It seems to me your job is to find Santa Claus. Do you mean to say that no one knows anything about him? So they say. 
It seems that Botvile himself had arranged for him. He came up in the private elevator and put on the costume in Botvile's office. You may as well know there is some corroboration for that. The costume came from Burleson's in 46th Street. Botvile phoned them yesterday afternoon, ordered it sent here, marked personal. Miss Kwan admits receiving the package and taking it to Botvile in his office. I didn't admit it, Inspector. I said it. We're also covering agencies which might have supplied a man to act Santa Claus, but that's a big order. It's also a waste of time. If he was just a hired person, why would he kill Kurt? And besides, he wouldn't have known that the poison was kept in my workshop downstairs. We waste most of our time, Mr. Hatch, but our job is to be thorough. We're going to find that Santa Claus, and when we do, we'll see. If we can't see him for it, we'll have to look further. And we'll expect all of you to help us. I'm taking it for granted you all want to help. What does that mean? That we are under suspicion? I and my son are under suspicion? What I said, Mrs. Jerome, is that we'll expect help from all of you. Don't you want to help? Well, I would help if I could, but I know nothing about it. I only know that my very dear friend is dead, and I don't intend to be abused and threatened. What about the poison? The medical examiner expects the autopsy to verify that it was cyanide. Your son uses potassium cyanide in his work with metals and plating. There's a large jar of it on a stair from Botvall's office to the workroom. Now, anyone who knew that, and who also knew that Botvall kept an open bottle of Perno in his desk, couldn't have asked for a better setup. Four of you have admitted knowing both things. You, Mrs. Jerome, admit knowing about the Perno, but not the poison. That's not true. She did know about it. You little slut! How dare you lie about me? There. You tell that lie again and I'll slap the other side of your face. Sit down, Mrs. Jerome. But she's lying. She can't lie. I said sit down and stay sitting. Miss Kwan, you say Mrs. Jerome knew about the potassium cyanide? Of course she did. In the workshop one day, I heard her son telling her how he used it and how careful he had to be. Mr. Hatch, do you verify... Oh, nonsense. What if he did? Perhaps he did. I'd forgotten about it. I told you I won't tolerate this abuse. So far as I know now, only one of you has told a lie. You. That's on the record. I'm telling you lies only make it harder for you. But sometimes they make it easier for us. I'll leave it at that for now. Mr. Kiernan and Mr. Hatch, my men will take you downtown. The rest of you can go. But remember what I said. Goodwin, I want to see you. I'll go sit in my car. <laughs> Look, if you're taking me downtown, I want something to eat first. It's past my meal time. You're not wanted downtown, not right now. Get in out of the snow. <clears throat> what were you doing there today? I've told you, having fun, three kinds of champagne, Miss Dickey invited me. I'm giving you another chance. Huh? You were the only outsider there. Why? You're nothing special to Miss Dickey. She was going to marry Botfile. Why were you there? Ask her. We have asked her. She says there was no particular reason that she stuttered around it. What I say, any time I find you near a murder, I want to know. I'm giving you another chance. Oh, thanks. But I, I can't use it. I have nothing more to tell you. Lay off and go find your murderer. I know you, good one. Yeah, you even called me Archie once. You know, I treasure that memory. I know you. I treasure it. Do you expect me to believe that guy got out of that room and away without you knowing it? Look, I was kneeling on the floor watching a man die. Huh? You're just talking to hear yourself. You don't think I was an accessory to the murder or the murderer's escape. I don't say he was the murderer. But if you knew who he was and didn't want him involved in it for some reason, like maybe earning a fee and let him get away, what about that? That would be bad. If I asked my advice, I would be against it. God damn it! Do you know who he is? No. Did you or Wolf have anything to do with getting him there? No. All right, pilot. 
I'll be wanting you downtown sometime. You know where to find me. As you know, I, uh, I approve of your rule not to discuss business during a meal, but uh, this is my meal and you finished yours. I've uh, got something on my chest and it's, it's not business, it's personal. The death of Mr. Botvile was reported on the radio at 7 o'clock. Oh, yeah. You were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there. I was kneeling by him when he died. But what, what I want to report is what happened before he died. It's, it's about the marriage. Uh, Miss Dickey has called it off. She told me she had decided to marry Botvile. Oh, indeed. Yes, sir. It, it was a jolt, but I, I'm, I would have recovered in time. I'm going to blot her out. For me, of course, this is uh, satisfactory. Oh, I know it is. Huh. Well, how'd you make out in Long Island? Long Island? Well, I... I did did Mr. Uh, Thompson have anything new to say about uh, orchids? Uh, have you finished your meal? Will you have any more? No, no, no. I should do it, except for this coffee here. It's uh, satisfactory. Very well, then. Uh, I, too, have uh, something on my chest. Oh, yeah? It's... Uh, not easy. Uh, perhaps the best way to begin is to show you something. Well, go ahead. What is it? Uh, <clears throat> these these uh, white gloves. Are those... Where did you get... Are those the white gloves? That... Yes. How'd you get them? Oh, my God. I don't, I don't believe it. You? You? <laughs> you? Oh, my God. You wore the gloves so I wouldn't I wouldn't recognize your hands, and then you... <laughs> so I wouldn't recognize your voice? And all that dear, sweet padding that Margot loved so much was... It was all you! <laughs> <clears throat> Have you finished? Sorry, I got something in my throat. Uh, why? Huh? Why'd you do it? Oh, my God. Were you really that desperate? I, the thought of a woman living in your house, of losing an employee after you'd got used to me? You had to go and see for yourself. <laughs> what were you going to do, anyway? Save me from a fate worse than death? <laughs> Shall we take it that I love to dress up as Santa Claus and ten bar? Oh, sure. Oh, sure, why not? Well, uh, now, where do we start? Uh, do you want to know what happened after you left? The details can wait. First, where do we stand? Was Kramer there? Yes, yeah, certainly. Did he get anywhere? No. Well, he probably won't till he finds Santa Claus. Oh, my God, about a thousand men are looking for you this very minute. Where did you get the gloves? At a store on Ninth Avenue. Oh, boy. Confound it, I didn't know a man was going to be murdered. When did you phone Botvile to arrange it? Yesterday afternoon. Do you think he told anybody about it? No, he said he wouldn't. I know he got the costume, so that's okay. When you left here at 12.30, did you go straight to Botvile's? No, I stopped to buy the gloves and then met him for lunch at Rusterman's. From there, we took a cab to his place, arriving shortly after 2 o'clock, and took his private elevator up to his office. He immediately got a bottle of Pano from a drawer of his desk, said he always had a little after lunch, and invited me to join him. I declined. He poured a liberal portion in a glass, drank it in two gulps, and returned the bottle to the drawer. 
Boy, the cops would sure like to know that. No doubt. The costume was there in a box. There's a private bathroom at the rear of his office. I know the layout. I took the costume there and put it on. He'd ordered the largest size, but uh, it... uh, Well, it was a squeeze, Mm -hmm. and it took a while. I suppose I was in that bathroom for half an hour. Mm -hmm. When I returned... The office was empty, but soon Botwell came up the stairs from the workshop and helped me with the mask and wig. They'd barely been adjusted when Mrs. Jerome and her son Leo appeared, also coming up the stairs from the workshop. I left and went into the studio and found Miss Kwan, Miss Dickey, and Mr. Uh, Kinnan there. Yeah, and before long I was there, so none of them saw you unmasked. No. When did you put the gloves on? To the last thing, just before I entered the studio. Oh, then you left Prince. Archie, I know, I... I know. You didn't know there was going to be a murder. You left your clothes in the bathroom. Are you sure you got everything when you left? Yes. I'm not a complete ass. A private elevators at the rear of the hall downstairs. Did anyone see you leaving it or passing through the hall? No, the hall was empty. How'd you get home? Taxi? No. Fritz didn't expect me until six or later. I walked to the public library, spent some two hours there, and then took a cab. You walked all the way to the library because you couldn't admit to Fritz that you hadn't been to Long Island, that you had been You confound it! Marry the woman and be damned! I, I beg your pardon, but you have to admit the situation is a little unusual. Shall I describe it, or do you want to? I would like to hear you try. Yes, sir. I suspect the only thing to do right now is phone Inspector Kramer and invite him to come and have a little chat. And when he comes, open the bag. No, I will not do that. Then, next best, I go to him and spill it there. No. Okay, okay. They have a thousand men looking for Santa. They'll check the prints they find in the office, and eventually they'll match it to yours. Now, they'll cover all the stores for sales of white gloves to men. They'll trace Botvile's movements and find that you lunched with him. Now, you're sunk. Kramer's been itching for years to lock you up, and any judge would commit you as material witness would run out. And another thing. Yes? If you wait till they find you, you can't tell them that Botvile took a drink from that bottle shortly after 2 o'clock, and it didn't hurt him, or they should book you for withholding evidence. Shall I call Kramer? No. I will not confess that performance to Mr. Kramer. I will not unfold the morning paper to a disclosure of that outlandish masquerade. Then you're just going to sit here and read a book till they come with a warrant. No, that would be fatuous. I am going to find the murderer and present him to Mr. Kramer. There's nothing else. Oh, that's fine. Well, then. We may have two weeks, and we may have two minutes. At this very minute, some fingerprint expert is comparing the Prince of Wolf, Nero, number 709. Do I answer? Of course. Nero Wolf's office. Archie Goodwin speaking. Goodwin? Well, Inspector Kramer, what a pleasant surprise. I want you down in my office at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. All right, sure. Anything special? 10 sharp. Well, I've already told them six times I know absolutely nothing about Santa Claus. They may not ask again. Now, I want a complete report of what happened there after I left. But first, I want background. In your intimate association with Miss Dickey, you must have learned things Uh, about those people. What? Not much. I guess I have to explain something. My association with Miss Dickey was not... Intimate. Oh, choose your own adjective. I meant no innuendo. Uh, This isn't... This isn't going to be easy. See, Miss Nikki's a very good dancer. She's an exceptionally good dancer, and for the past couple of months, I've been taking her here and there, and last Monday, she asked me to do her favor. 
Yes. She said Bartvile was giving her the runaround, and he'd been going to marry her for a year, but he kept on stalling, and she wanted to do something about it. You see, Sherry Kwan was after him, too. Archie, and, uh, would you get to the point? And she asked me to get a marriage license blank and fill it out for her and me, and she'd sew it to Bartvile and then tell him it was now or never, and that way she'd force his hand. Archie... Yes, sir. Are you telling me that that license was... Yes, sir. I want to, I want to make it clear that I had no intention of showing it to you. I, I did that on the spur of the moment because you were being so stubborn. I was being stubborn. Sir, I... yes, sir. Margot said the trick worked a treat. Botvile tore up the license, threw it in his waste paper basket, and agreed to marry her. I... Then you are not on intimate terms with Miss Dickey. No, sir. All right. Even so, she must have spoken of that establishment of those people. Some, yes. And one of them killed Botvile. Mm. The poison was put in the bottle between 2.10 when I saw him take a drink and 3.30 when Kennan went in and got the bottle. It's a strong possibility that the opportunity was even narrower that the poison was put in the bottle while I was in the dressing room. Since two of them, Mrs. Jerome and her son, were in the office with Botvile when I left. It must be assumed that one of them, or one of the three people in the studio, had grasped an earlier opportunity. Now, what about them? Had any of them reasons to do away with Botvile? Ha! Huh, there are motives aplenty. Uh, Mrs. Jerome has put half a million in the business. She thinks she owns Botvile. Very upset and jealous of Margot and Cherry Kwan. Son Leo, who has vinegar in his veins, not blood. Very jealous of Mama's interest in Botvile and of all his future inheritance being spent on Botvile. Kiernan, I don't know about him for sure, but judging from the looks he was giving Cherry Kwan, I suspect he would like to mix some Irish with her Chinese. And if he thought Botvile had him stymied, he might have been tempted to take steps. That can't be Kramer, but he could have sent someone. Oh, let Frisk get it. He knows how to handle police. Continue. Had Miss Dickey a motive? Oh, I got her a license to marry, not to kill. If she was lying when she said it worked, she's almost as good a liar as she's a dancer. Well, maybe she is. Well, if it didn't work, she, she might have been tempted. And Miss Kwan? There you've got me. You know, I think she works at being inscrutable. Cherry Kwan is a mystery to me. Yes, Fritz, what is it? Uh, Miss Cherry Kwan to see you, Mr. Wolf. She says it's extremely urgent. Bring her in. Yes, sir. Huh? Speak of the devil. Will you come in, Miss? I was afraid to telephone because you might tell me not to come. So I just came. Will you forgive me? Take a chair, Miss Kwan. Oh, I must get myself together. I'm nervous because it's so exciting to be here. I've read about you so much. Oh, there's the famous globe. And the bookshelves and the safe and the couch. Oh, and, of course, Archie Goodwin. And you, to actually see you behind your desk in your enormous chair. Uh, Miss Kwan, Of course, I... I saw you this afternoon, but that wasn't the same thing. You could have been anybody in that silly Santa Claus costume. <laughs> I wanted to pull your whiskers. Uh, if I understand you, Miss Kwan, I'm at a loss. If you think you saw me this afternoon in a Santa Claus costume, you're mistaken. Oh, I'm sorry. Then you haven't told them? Madam, uh, if you must talk in riddles, talk to Mr. Goodwin. He enjoys them. Uh, but I am sorry, Mr. Wolf. I should have explained first how I know. This morning at breakfast, Kurt told me that you had phoned him and arranged to appear at the party as Santa Claus. That's how I know. 
But you haven't told the police? Ah, then it's a good thing I haven't told them either, isn't it? Uh, this is interesting. What do you expect to accomplish by this faulty roll? Oh, dear. You with so much sense. You must see that it's no use. If I tell the police, they will investigate. Very well. I concede that you could create an unpleasant situation by taking that yarn to the police. I don't suppose you came here merely to tell me that you intend to. What do you intend? I think we understand each other. I understand only that you want something. What? You are so direct, so very abrupt, that I must have said something wrong. But I do want something. You see, since the police think the murderer was the Santa Claus who ran away, they may not get on the right track until it's too late. You wouldn't want that, would well, you? Well, that's your premise. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want whoever killed Kurt to get away, no matter who it was. But you see, I know who killed him. Oh, you do? Oh, yes. I have told the police, but they wouldn't listen until they find Santa Claus. Or if they listen, they think I'm just a jealous cat. <clears throat> who killed him? I'll tell you. Margot Dickey and Kurt were having an affair. A few months ago, Kurt began on me. And it was hard for me because I... Well, I had a feeling for him. I had a strong feeling. Uh, but you see, I am a virgin, and I wouldn't give in to him. I told him the first man I slept with would be my husband. Can you understand that? I think so. Last night, late, uh, it was after midnight... He phoned me that he had broken with Margot for good and he wanted to marry me. He wanted to come and see me, but I told him I was in bed and we would see each other in the morning. He persuaded me to go to his apartment for breakfast, and I did this morning. Uh, but I am still a virgin, Mr. Wolf. That is your privilege, madam. Oh, is it a privilege? When I got to the studio, I was surprised to see Margot there... And how friendly she was. That was part of her plan, to be friendly and cheerful with everyone. She has told the police that Kurt was going to marry her, that they had decided last night to get married next week, Christmas week. Have we reached the point? Did Miss Dickey kill Mr. Botvar? Yes, of course she and did. And you told the police that? Yes. I didn't tell them all that I have told you, but enough. With evidence? No. I have no evidence. Then you're vulnerable to an action for slander. Does that matter? When I know I'm right, when I know it? <sighs> but she was so clever the way she did it that there can't be any evidence. But it has got to be proved somehow. There has got to be evidence to prove it. And you want me to get it? It would be very good if the evidence proved who killed Kurt and also proved who Santa Claus was, wouldn't it? Go on. You have men who do things for you. And one of them can say that you asked him to go there and be Santa Claus. And he did. He can say that while he was in the dressing room, putting on the costume, he heard someone in the office and peeked out to see who it was. And he saw Margot Dickey get the bottle from the desk drawer and put something in it. I see. He can say that he ran away because he was frightened and wanted to tell you about it first. I don't think they would do anything to him if he went to them tomorrow morning and told them all about it, would they? Oh, just like me. I don't think they would do anything to me if I went to them tomorrow morning 
and told them that I had remembered that Kurt told me that you were going to be Santa Claus? And that's what you want. Did I say it so you understand Oh, you did indeed. You put it admirably. Buzz for Fritz, Archie. I suppose, Miss Kwan, it's futile to advance the possibility that one of the others killed him. As if so, it would be a pity Excuse me, I interrupt. I know she killed him. I don't. And even if I bow to your conviction, before I could undertake the stratagem you propose, I'd have to make sure there are no facts that would scuttle it. It won't take me long. You'll hear from me tomorrow. I can't wait longer than tomorrow morning to tell them what Kurt told me. Fui. You can and you will. The moment you disclose that, you no longer have a whip to dangle at me. You'll hear from me tomorrow. Yes, Mr. Wolf. Miss Corn is leaving, Fritz. Show her out. It was very exciting to be here. I hope it will be early tomorrow. Well, who do you think will be best for it? Saul, Fred, Ori Cather? Sit down. You see through women? Huh? Well? Oh, no. Oh, no, not that one. I pass. I wouldn't bet a dime on her one way or the other. Would you? No. She's probably a liar and possibly a murderer. If you sit down, I must have everything that happened there today after I left. Every word and every gesture. You read your statement over? I have read it. I am ready to sign it. And you've left nothing out? Nothing I can think of. Nothing in any way relevant. Goodwin, I'm going to give you a break. Again? That statement says specifically that you've reported everything you did there yesterday afternoon. As I said, I've read it. So? So who put your fingerprints on some of the pieces of paper in Botval's wastebasket? Well, I'll be damned. I forgot to put gloves on. Uh Uh-uh. You don't forget things. So you have deliberately left it out I want to know why, and I want to know what you took from that wastebasket and what you did with it. You know, I'm also damned because I thought I knew how thorough you are, and apparently I didn't. I wouldn't have supposed you would go so far as to dust the contents of a wastebasket when there was nothing to connect them. Ah, but I see I was wrong. Oh, boy, I hate being wrong. Well, we learn something new every day. You haven't answered my question. Now, look. Santa Claus had run. Kiernan was calling the police. I guess I was a little rattled. And I must have looked around for something that might give me a line on Santa Claus and my eyelid on the wastebasket, and I went through it. I haven't mentioned it because it wasn't very bright, and I like people to think I'm bright, especially cops. Now, there's your why. As for what I took, the answer is nothing. You want me to write that in? You are very bright, and you don't get rattled. Yes, I want you to write that in. And initial it. As you wish. This, uh, this may take a little time. I'm a slow writer. Say, I hope I'm not holding you up. Wolf wasn't in the office when I got home, of course, because his afternoon session up in the plant rooms is from four to six without fail. There was no note on my desk from him, so apparently there was still no instructions. But there was information on it. My desk ashtray, which is purely decoration, since I seldom smoke, had three cigarette butts in it. Faro brand. The kind Saul Panzer smokes. Yes, Fritz? No, it's not Fritz, it's me, I'm back. Oh, you. Yeah, me. Uh, there's, there's nothing urgent to report. They found my prints on the stuff in the wastebasket, but I escaped without loss of blood. Is it all right for me to empty my ashtray? 
Yes. Please do so. But then what do I do? I'll tell you at six o'clock, possibly earlier. Damn. Nero Wolf's office. Archie, good Archie, to... it's all. Glad to hear you're back home safe. Well, I'm glad somebody is. What's up? Message for Mr. Wolf. Yeah. Tell him everything is set. No snags. That's all? Right. Be seeing you. Yes. Saul called and said to tell you everything is set, no snags. Oh, well, satisfactory. Well, congratulations. Am I in the way? Oddly enough, no. Have chairs in place for visitors. Ten should be enough. Four or five will come shortly after six o'clock. I hope not more. Others will come later. Refreshments? Liquids, of course. Nothing else. Anything else for me? No. Satisfactory youth. I don't thank you for coming because you came in your own interest, not mine. I sent... My mother and I came to find out what you're up to. You will, Mr. Hatch. I sent each of you an identical message saying that Mr. Goodwin has certain information which he feels he must give to the police, not later than tonight. But I have persuaded him to let me discuss it with you first. Before I... I didn't know Cherry Kwan would be here. You do now. I hope Miss Dickey and Mr. Kiernan will join us soon. Before I tell you what Mr. Goodwin's information is, I need a few facts from you. For instance, I, uh, I understand that any of you could have found an opportunity to put the poison in the bottle. Did you tell him that? I've already told Did that you inspector mean to that tell I will me not to be warn you. I will not that. make accusations you, like you. please, I point no finger of accusation at any of you. I merely say that none of you can prove that you had no opportunity. Can you? This is ridiculous. It was that guy playing Santa Claus. Of course it was. I was with Bart Weil and my mother all the time, first in the workshop and then in his office. I can prove that. Ah, but Bart Weil is dead. And your mother is your mother. Did you go up to the office a little before them, or did your mother go up a little before Bart Weil did? Is there acceptable proof that you didn't? And the others have the same problem. Miss Kwan? If you mean I can't prove I wasn't in the office alone yesterday, no, I can't. What information has Goodwin got? We'll get to that. A few more facts first. Mrs. Jerome, when did you learn that Bart Vile had decided to marry Miss Kwan? What? What did you say? No, Mother, no. Kurt, marry her? That little strumpet? Oh, this is wonderful. Really wonderful. Goodwin hasn't got any information, and neither have you. Why you wanted to get us together and start us clawing at each other, I don't see that. I don't know why you're interested, but maybe I'll find out if I give you a hand. Maybe we all put poison in the bottle, and that's why it was such a big dose. If it's true that Kurt had decided to marry Cherry and Alf Kiernan knew it, that would have done it. Alf would have killed a hundred Kurtz if it would get him Cherry. If Mama knew it, she would have gone for Cherry instead of Kurt, but maybe she figured there would soon be another one, and she might as well settle it for good. Shut up, Leo. Are you sure, Mama? I was about to say that Cherry would seem to be the most likely. Mr. Wolf. She has the best brain of the lot and by far the strongest will, but I understand that while she says Kurt was going to marry her, Margot claims that he was going to marry her. Of course, that complicates it. And anyway, Margot has more than her share of the kind of pride that is only skin deep and therefore can't stand a scratch. 
If Kurt did decide to marry Cherry and told Margot so, he was an even bigger imbecile than I thought he was. Which brings me to me. I am in a class by myself. I despise all of them. If I'd taken to poison, I would have put it in the champagne as well as the perno and really enjoyed myself. But I have my spirit. Out of my way, I've got to see him. Mr. Wolf, I couldn't stop him. What is this? What's going on here? Good evening, Mr. Kramer. I was expecting you. The hell you say? I want a and word I'm with... delighted to see that you brought Miss Dickey and Mr. Cannon with you. Good evening, Sergeant Stebbins. Good evening, Saul. Panzer? Yes, sir. I'm running this. Panzer, you're under arrest, and you stay with Stars and Stebbins and keep your mouth shut. I don't want No, any... Mr. Kramer. If Saul is under arrest, take him out of here. You are not running this, not in my house. If you have warrants for anyone present, take them and leave these premises. Would you bulldoze me, Mr. Kramer? You should know better. I want to talk with you. Certainly. Be seated. Not here, alone. It would be a waste of time. My way will be quicker and better. You have a choice, sir? Either go with whomever you can lawfully take, or sit down while I tell you who killed Kurt Botvile. Now, Miss Kwan, if you don't mind moving, Mr. Kramer likes that chair. You know who killed Kurt Botvile? I confess that I stretched it a little, but I soon can and will. First, some facts for you. I assume you know that for the past two months, Mr. Goodwin has been seeing something of Miss Dickey. He says she dances well. Yeah, you can say that for later. I want to know if you sent Saul Panzer to meet whoever... You will. I'm headed for that. But you may prefer this firsthand. Archie, if you please, what Miss Dickey asked you to do last Monday evening and what happened? You want me to tell... Yes. We were dancing at the Flamingo Club. She said Bodvile had been telling her for a year that he would marry her next week, but next week never came and she was going to have a showdown with him. She asked me to get a blank marriage license and fill it out for her and me and then give it to her and she would show it to Bodvile and tell him it was now or never. I got the blank on Tuesday and filled it in and gave it to her. Well, go on. And yesterday afternoon? She told me that the license trick had worked perfectly. That was uh, about a minute before Botvile entered the studio. I said in my statement to the DA that she told me Botvile was going to marry her. But I didn't mention the marriage license because it was immaterial. Did she tell you what happened to the license? <sighs> she said Botvile had torn it up and put the pieces in a wastebasket by the desk in his office. That was the night before, Thursday evening. And what did you do when you went to the office after Botvile had died? I dumped the wastebasket, put the stuff back in piece by piece. No part of the license was there. You made sure of that? Yes. <sighs> Any questions, Mr. Kramer? No. Goodwin lied in a statement. I warned him. I'll deal with that later. What I want to know then is... Then Cherry took it. You took it, you professional virgin. I did not. Mr. Wolf. I am not going to wait any longer. Miss Kwan, I'm doing this. Another fact, Mr. Kramer. Yesterday, I had a luncheon appointment with Mr. Botvile at Rustaman's restaurant. He had once dined at my table and wished to, to reciprocate. He'd asked me to do him a favor on the way, to stop at a shop and pick up a pair of white cotton gloves, medium size, for a man. You bought the white gloves? It struck me as a peculiar request, but Mr. Botvile is a peculiar man. At lunch, he explained somewhat vaguely what he wanted them for. I gathered he'd taken pity on some derelict he'd seen on a park bench and had hired him to serve refreshments at the office party, costumed as Santa Claus. And he decided that the only way to make his hands presentable was to have him wear gloves. You shake your head, Inspector. 
You're damn right I do. You would have reported that. No reason on earth not to. I didn't report it because I thought you'd find the murderer without it. The derelict Santa had obviously skedaddled out of fright since he couldn't possibly have known of the jar of poison in the workshop, among other things. And, as you know, I have a strong aversion to involvement in matters where I've no concern or interest. You're reporting it now. I am indeed, because I understood from Mr. Goodwin that you were intensifying your search for the man who was there as Santa Claus. And with your army, it probably wouldn't take long to get to me, and I'd be under inquisition. I must report the episode now and uh, suffer your rebuke for not reporting it earlier. But in the meantime, I wanted to make use of my singular advantage. I knew that the man who acted Santa Claus was almost certainly not the murderer. And I needed first to have a talk with one of these people. And I did so when Miss Kwan came here last evening. Why, Miss Kwan? Mr. Wong. You can decide later whether such details matter. With Miss Kwan, I discussed her associates at that place and their relationships, and I became satisfied that Botweil had, in fact, decided to marry her. That was all. Uh, you can also decide later whether it's worthwhile to ask her to corroborate that. I ask her now. Miss Kwan... Did... Uh, Mr. Wolf is speaking. I'll wait till he's finished. Thank you. This morning, I acted. Mr. Goodwin was at the district attorney's office with you, so I called in Mr. Panzer to do some errands. Uh, would you tell Mr. Kramer about the first one, Saul? Yes, sir. I was to learn whether Botvile's wastebasket had been emptied since his conversation with Miss Dickey in his office Thursday evening. I got the name and address of the cleaning woman who worked at that establishment, and I found her, and I had a talk with her. She told me that the wastebasket had been emptied at about 6 o'clock Thursday afternoon, and not since then. Cherry must have taken them. Meanwhile, I was phoning everyone concerned, Mrs. Jerome and her son, Miss Kwan, Miss Dickey, Mr. Kinnon, and inviting them to come here for a conference at 6.15. I told them Mr. Goodwin had information which he intended to give to the police, which incidentally wasn't true, and that I preferred to discuss it first with them. I told you so. Mr. Panzer's second task was the delivery of some messages. He'd written them in longhand at my dictation on plain sheets of paper. They were identical and ran as follows. Saul? When I was there yesterday putting on my costume, I saw you through a crack in the door and I saw what you did. Do you want me to tell the cops? Be at Grand Central Information Booth, upper level, at 6.30 today. I'll come up to you and say, St. Nick. By God, you admit you got Panzer to do that? I proclaim it. The messages were signed Santa Claus and put in plain envelopes, and Mr. Panzer made sure they were delivered. Now, these were not so much shots at random as they may appear. If one of those people had killed Botvile, it was extremely likely that the poison had been put in the bottle while the derelict was donning the Santa Claus costume. So it was highly probable that the murderer would believe he'd been observed and would be irresistibly impelled to meet the writer of that message. One of the shots would reach its target. The question was, which one? Are you going to tell us now? Yeah, there was the possibility, of course, that one or more of them would go to you with the message, Inspector. Only the murderer would go to the rendezvous without first consulting you. So, you may now report. What happened in the vicinity of the information booth after you arrived? Yes, sir. I arrived at 620. 
Within three minutes, I had recognized three homicide men scattered around in different spots. I don't know if they recognized me. At 6.28, I saw Alfred Kernan walk up near the booth and stand there about ten feet away from it. And I was just about to go and speak to him when I saw Margot Dickey coming up from the 42nd Street side. I went to her first and said, St. Nick. She said, who are you? What do you want? I said, excuse me, I'll be right back. And I went over to Alfred Kernan and said to him, St. Nick. As soon as I said that, he raised a hand to his ear, and then here they came, the three homicide men who I had recognized, and Inspector Kramer and Sergeant Stebbins. I was afraid Miss Dickey would run, and she did start to, but they had seen me speak to her, and two of them stopped her. They took us to a room back of the parcel room and started in on me, and I followed your instructions. I told them I would say nothing whatever except in the presence of Nero Wolf because I was acting under your orders. When they saw I meant it, they brought us here. Anything else? No. Satisfactory. Inspector, I assume Mr. Penz is correct in concluding that Mr. Kiernan gave your men a signal, so Mr. Kiernan had gone to you with the message. Yes. So had Mrs. Jerome and her son, Leo. Ah, but Miss Dickey hadn't. No. Well, of course, I expected it to be Miss Dickey, since she lied about the license. The rest of what she told Mr. Goodwin was under suspicion. Why would I tell Archie that Kurt was going to marry me if it wasn't true? It would have been stupid. He'd find out. Not so stupid if you knew that Botfire would soon die. Far from stupid if you'd already put the poison in the bottle. It would purge you of motive or at least help to do so. Kurt was going to marry me. No, Miss Dickey. It's a fair surmise that on Thursday evening, Botvile told you that he would not marry you, that he had decided to marry Miss Kwan, and you decided to kill him and proceeded to do so. And it must be admitted that you would probably never have been exposed, but for the complications injected by Santa Claus and my resulting intervention. Have you any comment, Miss Dickey? Don't answer. I'm running this now. You may. Inspector. Cherry took those pieces from the wastebasket. She did it. She killed him. No, Miss Dickey. She didn't go there to meet a blackmailer, and you did. Take her, Stebbins. episode where Maver Moore as Nero Wolf and Don Franks as Archie Goodwin. Marty Meriden was Cherry Kwan, Linda Sorensen, Margot Dickey, Patricia Hamilton, Mrs. Jerome, Gordon Thompson, Leo Hatch, John Granick, Kurt Botvile. Cease Linder was Inspector Kramer, Alfie Scoff was Saul Panzer, and Frank Perry was Fritz. Music was composed and conducted by Don Gillis. Technical operations by John Jessup. Sound effects Bill Robinson. Production assistant was Nancy McElveen, and casting consultant was Ann Weldon Tate. Christmas Party was written and produced in Toronto by Ron Hartman. There you have it, friends, a Christmas party 
as it was originally broadcast on February 13th, 1982. I am your humble host here for Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. We hope you enjoyed this Nero Wolf story for Christmas. Ah, yes, perfect, just perfect. All right, I'll do it for now. I am your humble host saying so long for now, and thanks for listening. <laughs>